Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths. Today we have our friend Carrie Richardson back on the show to discuss ways you can clear your year physically, emotionally, and spiritually to get back on track for a great 2021. Welcome back, Carrie. And for those of you who might have missed our first episode, please go back and find it because Carrie is a lifestyle designer, trained coach, and the best-selling author of What Your Clutter Is Trying to Tell You. It was listed on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and I'm sure her latest book, From Clutter to Clarity, will be right behind that on these lists. This book is fantastic because it helps you clean up your mindset to clear out your clutter. It brings the work of clutter clearing to the next level as she identifies and explains the emotions and mindset that they're are the core of what is keeping us stuck in that. Carrie has worked with thousands of people, helping them use their blocks as stepping stones to living their best lives. Through her signature clutter readings, she helps people discover the real reason they struggle to let go of physical and emotional clutter and how to stop the self-sabotage. You can learn more at carryrichardson.com. Welcome back, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here again. Well, before we get on the air, I shared with Carrie that in I'm just going to share this with all of you now, I guess, that when I read the first book, I applied some of the techniques and I said, holy shit, this works. And I was so excited. And then I put it on the back burner and I immediately went back to my old patterns. And I was saying that in this book, it helped me realize and see why I did that and how to address what's underneath it all. So it is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm I'm really glad to hear that you like it. Well, it gives even more tools than your first book did. Yeah. Yeah. The second book is, um, you know, I really call it like soul decluttering, you know, rather than um, and the physical decluttering, of course, is there. Right. But that's often a consequence of spiritual clutter or soul clutter. And um, and so if we struggle to clear thoughts, things or people from our lives that no longer serve our best and highest good, then it's there to teach us something. It's there, it's there with a the message. And it can be difficult to uncover the message because we're so frustrated by its existence that we get caught up in kind of the annoyance of it or even the drama of it. But if we stop and go, okay, why do I keep running up against this same wall? Or an even more powerful question, how do I talk myself out of handling this situation? that's going to really point to the core clutter, the soul clutter that's underneath, which is typically a limiting belief or the need for a boundary or some unrealistic expectations. Let empaths in particular have a soul clutter of everyone else's energy and expectations and needs. Yes. Do you have any tips or suggestions for how empaths in particular can get in touch with the thoughts that are cluttering their mind and how to divide and discern, you know, is this mine? Is this necessary for me or is this someone else's? Yeah, it's, it's such a good point. I mean, as empaths, we just, we do, we, we take on everybody else's stuff. And so that's just kind of part of who we are. So a really important step is just as you're saying to stop and ask yourself um, kind of who, whose ball did I just catch? Right. Who tossed me their ball and I caught it and it's time for me to throw it back. You know, is this is this mine to hold or is this somebody else's? And it really, again, particularly as empaths, because it can be so we can be so inundated um, 
with world stuff and there's so much world stuff that it really can be difficult to get out of the weeds, but practicing, you know, I call it the power of the pause. If we practice just the pause, even if we remember one time out of 10 to pause and go, okay, what am I feeling? Where did it come from? Is it mine? Like just asking yourself some questions in 20 or 30 seconds can help us kind of get in check and go, oh, that's right. It's not mine. Like a friend of mine often says to me, um, you know, Carrie, sometimes you have to take off the cape. Like it's everything's not mine to rescue and save. And so that's become kind of like a funny little mantra I say to myself. It's like, is it time to take off the cape? And that kind of that's my shortcut now to get me in check of is this my stuff or somebody else's? I love that. I love that because I have a cape myself. It's mm -hmm. quite attractive. It has some glitter on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things in your book that really like kind of hit me hard was when you were talking about dismantling the old beliefs so you can mm. strengthen the new. And I think we've talked about it a lot on the show. For a lot of us as empaths, highly sensitive, intuitive, some is learned behaviors, some is family of origin, some is the way we're wired, but it's so, so, so deeply ingrained. It's old. Mm -hmm. And I mean, could you discuss some of your approaches of, of uh, kind of addressing that? Yeah. Stuff? Yeah. It, it, it is tricky because it is so ingrained, right? It's like, it's such a part of our being in how we operate that, you know, it's like the windshield in a car. You don't see it anymore. You look right through it to drive, but it's there. And very similar when we operate from our belief system that it is an it's an instruction manual we, we wrote for ourselves a very long time ago. And we don't realize that a time comes when we have outgrown a lot of them. Uh, and so clues I look for in my clients and in my own life for evidence of a limiting belief at play is the idea of, you know, trying the same thing again and again and again and not being able to gain any traction, even though you've tried a million different ways. Um, that tells me that there's a belief that's blocking things there. Um, and really important, like I mentioned, you know, when you are trying to achieve something in your life, change something in your life, acquire something in your life, and you find that you're dragging your feet on it, you're just putting it on the back burner, you're making everyone else's needs more important than yours, because as an empath, those needs can be really loud. Um, I'd want you to ask yourself, how am I benefiting from putting off this thing that I so desperately want? What might I be protecting myself from by not accomplishing what I say that I want? That's going to really point us to a limiting belief. That combined with the, how do I talk myself into procrastinating about this? Because what I often find, and this is, this is like um, a fast track to identifying a belief is whatever you find that you're dragging your feet on or that you're procrastinating on, ask yourself, what is the step that comes after the one you're procrastinating about? Because that's what you're really avoiding. You're dragging your feet on this step because if you complete it, then you'll have to do that step. And that step, whatever that is, that second step is the really scary one. And it's because it's challenging a belief. And that can often be where a lot of vulnerability comes into play. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, vulnerability in the sense of, you know, if I, if I put myself out there, 
or if I accomplish this and then I do that, um, what will others think of me? Um, who do I think I am? That question, you know, that age old question comes up, um, really exposing m myself for what it is I want and desire in this life. It can, f it can feel very exposing. Mm -hmm. uh, so our beliefs just by their nature, keep us tucked away in our familiar territory. Yes, it's our comfort zone, but it's not comfortable all the time. <laughs> so it's familiar territory, right? And that's what our beliefs do. It keeps us surrounded by what is familiar. And as soon as we start to dip our toe in something that's unfamiliar, our belief system and our soul kind of rings the alarm. Is like, no, 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 no. Come on back here. This is where we know how to live out there we don't really know what's out there so let's just stay right in here but then we end up living half lives and not really fully satisfied very very well said identifying your motivating source is really important too like on a superficial level nothing motivates me to clean more than having people over yes <laughs> suddenly you see your house in a whole new light there are mm -hmm. dust bunnies there i didn't know so what could people use as a motivating force for a more long-term goal of clearing the clutter in their soul? Yeah, you know, I love the idea of having having a vision that you're working toward. I mean, we hear a lot about like your life's vision or your vision story, and it sounds really sexy and, and seductive, right? It can also feel incredibly intimidating and overwhelming. Because we, again, our belief system tells us that it needs to be this huge, grandiose, earth-shattering vision. Um, but really, it's thinking about what is the essence you want to feel in your life? Like, how do you want to experience your life on a day-to-day -day basis? Meaning, are you someone who craves quiet and solitude? <clears throat> or are you someone who loves excitement and adventure, um, new experiences, adrenaline rushes? Uh, so how do you want to experience your life? What is the essence you crave? And then when you have that idea, you can then identify the clutter that's in your way from getting there, right? So it's like, it, it's that whole idea of knowing your why. You know, so if someone says, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, great. Why? Well, because I want to be thin. Okay, why? Well, because I'm sick of my joints aching. Okay, what else? Well, I want to be strong. I want to be able to get on the floor with my kids and get up easily. And like once you start to really chisel down the why, you then have this um, grounding stone to hold on to that when the clutter trips you up, that soul clutter trips you up, you have something to refer back to and go, oh, that's right. This is why I'm doing this. This is the real why. So it's not, you know, the, the why isn't just, I want to lose 20 pounds. The why is what, how will life be after you accomplish that goal? And that can keep you on track. Great idea. Great tips. So instead of just looking at the present goal, look at the past, the root of it, and then look at the outcome, the bloom. Absolutely. You know, our, our future selves can really get on board with the changes. Our future self is the one who is like, I'm going to start my diet on Monday. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to feel so great. And then Monday comes and it's our present self who has to do the heavy lifting, who has to actually do the work. And it's our present self who goes, maybe next Monday. Um, because <laughs> our present self loves immediate gratification, right? So she needs quick wins to stay in the game. 
future self can hang on to the future value of something, but she's not the one who does the work. Um, this is why small steps are so key in accomplishing anything because it, you know, helping us ourselves to see that our success really lies in the action and not the outcome keeps our present self in the game. And that's why, why, you know, staying with a fitness goal, if, you know, taking it day by day, meal by meal, movement by movement sets you up for success so much more than, you know, I'm going to lose 50 pounds by my birthday. Exactly. Future, future self will love that, but present self will go, that sounds like a tall order. I don't like it. Well, one of the things in your book is you blend beautifully the psychology, the behaviorism, and these tips to actually change the clutter. But for some of us, it's been a cyclical pattern. We've lost the weight. We've gained it back. We've gotten mm -hmm. in a relationship. It's followed a pattern. And I think, you know, there's some things in your book on hitting that place of forgiveness so that you, okay, I'm going to finally put this to rest once and for all. For a lot of us right now, it feels like we're being nudged, uh, almost a sense of urgency. I'm ready. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to embrace my life. Exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But we're getting hung up in these cyclical patterns. So I'm going to just pick relationships for one reason. I I've been talking to a lot of folks lately that are saying, I can't find my person or where's my person. What kind of clutter clearing or soul clearing could we do around staying in cyclical patterns, either with relationships or or anything of that kind? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, I think cyclical patterns, as annoying as they can be, are also really cool and helpful because although they feel cyclical, every time you go around that circle, you are actually um, traveling a different layer. It may feel like the same old, same old, but it's that whole idea of you can never be where you once were simply because you know more. So even if it feels like you've moved just a millimeter further along on your journey, that's a millimeter further along. Um, so you can feel like you're back in the same old, same old, but ask yourself, okay, what did I believe was the issue before? How did I handle it? What might be the issue now? So there are so many layers to this. Um, sometimes the layers are like paper thin, like super, super thin. Other times you're moving boulders, uh, but these cyclical patterns are are ways to uh, to excavate the true source. So it's like, keep going, even though you feel like you're running in circles, keep running. Um, and something like, you know, your example of the relationship clutter, you know, when it comes to like, I can't find my person, I can't seem to find that person. The very first thing I encourage my clients to do is look and see um, who is currently, who or what is currently occupying your relationship seat in your life. Um, and this, by this, I mean, it could be your inner critic. It could be your mother. Uh, who is, who is the toxic relationship or the draining relationship or even the annoying relationship in your life right now that is taking up the space for your person? Um, so it can be, you know, a wedding gown in your closet from your first marriage. Right. It can be any number of things. It can be a person. It can be a thing. It can be a thought, again, that relates to you, the relationship area of your life. And if it's not available for your person, then there's no place for them to come in. So 
if you are looking for your person, I would want you to look at cleaning up your relationship clutter. Relationship clutter, again, you can start with people because that's the easiest kind of to identify who in my life is negative, naysayer, drainer, commiserator, alarmist. Um, who are they? And then asking yourself, okay, so I've identified this person who I know is a problem. Is it a repair or is it a replace, this relationship? Do I, do I value it enough to put in the work to try to repair it, which is typically with a boundary of some sort, or has it run its course and I know that no matter how much work I do, nothing's going to change, it might be time to replace it. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. If your wedding dress is vacuum sealed in your attic, does that count? Absolutely. <laughs> it sure does. I'm not getting rid of that. <laughs> oh, you don't have to get rid of it. That's the thing, right? Like you can just, you can check in and sit and be like, you know what? I have no negative feelings around that. It reminds me of a lovely time in my life. Um, then it's not clutter. There's no need to get rid of it. So it's not, it's not crowding your relationship seat. It's just a part of your relationship past. Right. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm not getting rid of that thing. <laughs> no, you don't have to. It's not clutter. <laughs> not going to make my kids wear it either, but yeah. some are nice to hold on to. <laughs> yeah. I like your idea of the cyclical pattern. And when you were talking, it reminds me of a labyrinth. Mm -hmm. So even though you're walking in a circle, I think if we shift our thoughts to this is a labyrinth. And as I get again and again and again hit with this repeating pattern. I am at a different place. And each time I meet it with grace and courage, I'm getting closer to the core at that center of the labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful analogy. What advice would you give? So for me, clearing my clutter, the exhausting part of it is that it's not a one and done situation. Like right. even if you lose 20 pounds, it's not like you can go back to eating the way you normally ate before the 20 mm -hmm. pounds. Yeah. It's constant. And my daughter went away to college for, I don't know, six weeks before COVID shut it down. But mm -hmm. while she was gone, my girls totally reorganized their rooms. We reset up the closets. I cleaned everything. And then she comes home from college and all that clutter is here again. And we now we don't have any place for it because we had already rearranged everything. And mm. it just feels exhausting the way everything is a constant ongoing process. Yeah. And for me, that's the hardest part. I try to think of like St. Teresa, the little flower. And I'm like, how is she so freaking happy scrubbing the floors of the monastery? <laughs> I try to use that as inspiration, but what else could I look to for inspiration that all this stuff we're working on, it's like you never, you never reach that goal line. It's true. I mean, it's, um, that's, you know, the one thing to remember is with clutter, you're never done. And I know that sounds depressing, but stick with me. <laughs> um, it, you're never done, uh, it's, it's, it's like our spiritual evolution, right? We're never done. And I think that's really cool and exciting because what's on the horizon for me to learn? Like, gosh, I think that I've, you know, I've gotten things and that there's so much more. Um, so with clutter, it's similar in that, like the example you gave, like you organized and you got things tidied up and then your daughter came home from college and then here's all this clutter. So with that, it's like, okay, um, is the clutter really her stuff that came home with her? And it very well could be. But is another part of that clutter 
my expectations that I have of her or the conversations I need to have with her about how I want this house to be. Um, is there is there a boundary that needs to be set with her around her and her stuff, right? It just might not be the case, but what I'm asking you to do is to look beyond the obvious. Um, so when clutter reoccurs, you know, when we've done the work, it's like, I've, I feel like I've cleaned off that corner of my counter a hundred times and there's stuff back on it again. That's when I pause to ask myself like, okay, does that corner of that counter represent anything else? It doesn't have to be any really like deep psychological inquiry, although it can be, but it can be a, well, I've been annoyed that, you know, every time my wife comes home, she puts her, all of her glasses, her reading glasses, because we're of that age, reading glasses and other glasses <laughs> on, on the corner of that counter. And I'm so sick of looking at all the glasses. I put them elsewhere and then they're back again. Well, I've never addressed the source of like, hey, could you find a new home for your glasses? Because that drives me crazy. Instead, I get mad. I look at the glasses and I'm so annoyed. And, and it's like, well, I'm dealing with the symptom and not the source. Um, so when we get annoyed by recurring clutter, it's always good to ask ourselves, what's the next layer on this that I could handle? And sometimes that next layer is it just needs a definitive home. So I'm going to get, you know, a, a little bin I can hang on the wall that they can go in. Right. So that that can be the next layer. And then it's done. You have a system in place. Sometimes a system is the next thing. Sometimes a boundary is the next thing. It really depends. And a label maker. Oh, I love them. I do. Too. <laughs> I always have mine handy. <laughs> Me, too. I actually bought them as Christmas gifts for some friends, but they're life changing. They're so good. We rented a house in the woods a couple of years ago. And it was like an Airbnb type thing. And she had everything labeled. Wow. And it was so great because every time my kids would empty the dishwasher in this house, they actually put things back where they were supposed to go. Whereas okay. in our house, like the spaghetti strainer, it could be in one of eight places in my kitchen depending <laughs> on who emptied the dishwasher. <laughs> so now I've gone around and labeled everything. There you go. Here, spoons. Has it, it helped? It helps. It helps a lot. Yeah. yeah, we still haven't figured out. Here's my big passion in my kitchen. I like completely empty countertops. Okay. Yeah. If there's anything on my countertop, it muddles my whole head. Yeah. So the toaster is underneath the cabinets. The mm -hmm. little K cup tea maker thing is under there. Everything is under there. And my kids come, they make breakfast, they leave it all on top. And there mm -hmm. is a home for it unlike your wife's glasses, and they still don't do it. So that could just be a teenager thing or a boundary thing, but that's something I'm working on. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a reminder thing. Like, have you reminded them, I, you know, I want the counters cleared, please put the things away. Yes, this is what I say. You girls are going to turn me into a nagging B-I-T-C-H mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little cue into how fun it is to live with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But so, but so, you know, it, it's first for that example, which, you know, can sound like a silly example, but it really shines a light on sometimes boundaries need to be repeated a hundred times before they stick. Yeah. yeah. You know, Again, and, that, that idea of this is not a one and done. Exactly. It's not, it's, I mean, it's, it is conditioning people. Right. Um, and it's not like, that's not nagging. It's like, these are your counters. Here's how you like them. They're living in your house. You know, yes, they're your children, but it's, you know, when you are done, put the things away. 
there's a bigger life lesson in there than just put the toaster in the cabinet, right? It's, um, yeah, tend to your space, respect people's boundaries. Um, there's big life lessons in them putting the toaster away. Well, I did make all my kids watch that inspiring Jocko video about making your bed. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that speech. So good. You just nailed a really important part, Carrie, is that the if it's a learned behavior or it's a conditioned response of, well, she'll clean up after me anyway, so why should I bother, right. especially with, with teenagers or young children, or if you've always been the person to be ultra hyper responsible, or it's always been like that you, you nailed something in your book about asking for help. And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of our listeners, if they've never had the support or they've never had the help physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever that might be, that's a really, really tricky place to navigate with clutter. Yes. It's scary, right? Because it is such a vulnerable action. Um, especially if any one of our beliefs tells us that it's not okay to be needy, it's not okay to ask for help, people are not willing or able or available to help you. If any of these beliefs are at play, it's going to really make it difficult for us to ask for help. Um, you know, I think, I believe in that, I shared a story in my book about how that was, that has been one of my top beliefs. I have always prided myself on being the go-to person who's full of resources, who can figure out anything for you. Um, and I'll never need anything from you. You know, I was, I was dear Abby in high school. My friends knew like come to me with their problems, but I never felt like I had a space for mine because my belief told me if you are needy and if you ask for help, you know, people are going to be annoyed and not really stick around. And um, so I trained myself like through my belief system from when I was young, I trained myself my whole life validating that belief that it is not okay to ask for help. It's not okay to be needy. Um, our beliefs as, as we know, right. They need validation to survive. And so we attract people and experiences and sometimes we even seek them out to validate these limiting beliefs. And so I made damn sure that my friendships in high school and early college validated that belief, meaning I thought I had good friends, but they were very superficial friendships because I never let them know me. I would never be vulnerable with them. I was always saving them, rescuing them, helping them, but never let them help me. And I thought I was doing right by my relationship when come to find out I was actually hurting it that when I started to let people in more, ask for help more, it actually deepened relationships, which blew my mind. That might sound obvious to other people, but my belief system was like, don't you dare. Um, and so asking for help can be really tricky, again, especially for empaths, because we are so sensitive that it can feel incredibly risky. You know, it's going to feel like we're bungee jumping to ask someone for help. It's like, oh my gosh, like I am putting myself out there. So one thing I did is I, I, I started to exercise my ask muscle. <laughs> I, there is a K in there. <laughs> my ask muscle um, very safely. And so silly things like I would be in the grocery store and I would ask a clerk what aisle the peanut butter is in, even though I knew. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Just just to be like, oh, you know, it's in aisle 11. I'm like, OK, thanks. Boom. My belief that no one is going to help me gets chipped away even a little bit. So I started with safe people. The risk wasn't high. There wasn't a relationship there to begin with. And then I 
amped it up to people who were close to me, but I knew I had a really good shot of them coming through for me. And so I asked them for help. It, it, it was a positive experience. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I just kind of built up that muscle that it's okay to ask for help. And if I ask for help and someone says no, or they don't come through for me, I need to not take it personally that they might literally just not be available. It's not that they don't love me or, you know, I got to be careful. You got to be careful of the stories you make up in your head about why you shouldn't ask for help. And if you do ask for help and someone says, no, again, what are the stories you're telling yourself around there? Because that's clutter. It took me so long to learn that. And I think I'm still learning it mm -hmm. in different ways and different steps and stages of my development. Recently, my friend had to move after a divorce and I helped her move and she felt so guilty about all the help her friends were giving her. Yeah. Um, as you know, like I took a couple of days off work and I got my kids involved and, you know, we were really moving to save her money on movers and just to be a support for her. And I hate moving. I, I hate packing up crap. I hate late. I hate the whole process. Me too. And yet, the whole time I was so happy. I was in such a good mood. It was so nice. You know, we went and got lunch for everyone and we sat on the boxes and talked. Anyway, I went home and I thought, why did I enjoy that so much when I hate moving? And I thought, oh, because I'm really happy when I'm helping others. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm never happy when I'm asking people to help me. And yes. you know, there's the block. But I thought, okay, wait, what if I can shift this and remember this feeling of feeling so happy that I could be there for my friend and think, okay, Samantha, when you ask people to help you, you're giving them an opportunity for that feel good feeling as well. Yes. Right. It's like, that, like it, it, that's such a good, it's such a powerful reminder and it's like, but it's so easy for us to forget. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because, you know, looking at our beliefs around asking for help, you know, makes it really difficult. I am a really tough person to help because I am so, anti-dependent <laughs> um, that I am really hard to help. I annoy myself. Like when people try to help me, how much I fight it. And it's like, Carrie, would you just receive the help? But my belief tells me there are strings attached that I'm not worthy, like all that crap from way back when that it's like, you know what, Pr just like I practiced asking for help, I need to practice actually receiving it. And feeling those uncomfortable feelings that come up when I do, because you're absolutely right, Samantha. It's like, I love helping people it brings me such joy. Um, even with things I hate, like moving, it's like, I if I can make their life easier because I know how much moving sucks, if I can help them, this is going to be amazing. But why can't I receive that for myself? And that's, that's the core clutter we want to look at. Like, why am I so anti-dependent? <laughs> Yeah. And I think getting to the root of that is key. I mean, I know for me, I've been emotionally on my own most of my life. I just don't have the most supportive parents who, you know, haven't mm -hmm. shown up when I've needed them. Mm -hmm. And for me, I always felt kind of weirdly empowered by that Yeah, because I don't need anyone. I mean, I do, but you know what I mean? Yes. I can get through really tough shit all on my own. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's my superpower. And it's been my, my blankie as well, you know? And so I think recognizing the root cause of why you don't like to ask for help, for me, it's my way of asserting, see, 
I don't need you. And yeah. I've had to work really hard to break that down. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've, I've worn that as a badge of honor as well. It's like, I got this, I can handle anything. Um, and then it's like asking myself, well, what if it was actually a powerful act of strength to be vulnerable, to lean into someone's support? Because uh, it is, I mean, vulnerability is, takes a lot of courage. So, you know, I think I'm so confident and, and brazen and I can handle everything. And I, I can, I can handle a lot. You know, when, when crisis hits, I go in, I am, I am the level-headed person who's going to figure things out. You, you know, you don't have to worry about it. When crisis hits, you want me around. But I also sometimes have my own crises that I need other people for. Um, so it really, it takes, it's like any other muscle, right? It takes practice to, can I, can I allow myself to ask for help? And the, the other important thing I have found is when you do practice that, being really selective about who you ask, like set yourself up for success. You know, don't ask people who, who you don't really want their help, right? Or, or, or you know the type of support they're going to try to give you is not a fit for what you want. Mm, very good point. Be very clear about who's on your team. Yes. Like I, I say, you know, our lives, our space, our time, our energy, they're all finite. So only the absolute best candidates get a seat at that table. Like at the sacred table that is my life, I'm going to be very selective of who is worthy of a seat at it. And sometimes we we keep going to the wrong people for the help that we need in just in the hopes that they'll be who we need, especially if we have a parent, like you were saying, a parent who didn't show up for us in the way we wanted. Sometimes we might give them way too many chances. Maybe every five years we go back and go, I'm going to give her another shot to emotionally support me. And then you're disappointed all over again. And it's like, why did I just go to the hardware store for milk again? Like, well, cause I needed to remind myself, like, that's not my place. So be selective about who is, who is worthy of knowing your story, who is worthy of, of supporting you um, and who is worthy of helping you. I just want to add to that is if you think there's someone and as you were speaking, I got a flash of a friend of mine years and years ago. And I did, a, I did went right into mode and I was always there, always available. And then one time I really did need some help and I thought, well, we've been friends so for so long and I've always been there. I'm sure this person would be happy to help me. And they weren't. Mm -hmm. And because it was so hard to ask for help that reverted me back. So I guess for our listeners, if you've asked someone and you haven't gotten that, you know, lick your wounds and realize that that's shining a flashlight on that relationship as well, mm -hmm. but don't let that keep you stuck in the old patterns. Yes, exactly. That's just don't go back to that person because they're just not a fit. There's a Simone quote that says, you've got to learn to leave the table when love's no longer being served. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I love it. Now, one of the things that this is a learned behavior, and I'm resonating with a lot that you're saying, is planning ahead. And you have an acronym in your book, LIPS, Living in Pursuit Syndrome. Mm -hmm. But that's a, a new behavior for me over these last few years is it was usually seat of the pants get yeah. because out of lifestyle or circumstances or whatever it might be. And I, I would love if you could chat about that for a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's, um, 
you often hear people say there aren't enough hours in the day, and there really are. <laughs> uh, it's it's just in how you use them. And so, you know, this kind of idea of flying by the seat of our pants is is a really convenient way to not pursue big, scary dreams and goals. You know, so it, it so it's when we run around and we we clutter our lives with, you know, fake busy. You know, that fake busy is when you end the day really kind of wiped out and spent. And then you review your day and you go, what did I even get done? Because you're just spinning your wheels, running around, doing all sorts of stuff. You're doing a, a little bit of a lot, but a lot of nothing. Um, so the idea behind being very mindful of how you spend your time, like almost to the point of like intentionally scheduling things. It's like if I know these are the goals I want to accomplish in my life, let me look and see how did I spend my time over the past three days, five days, and how much of that was aligned with where I want to be heading and how much of it was just noise. Did I let myself get wrapped up in, in busy, in fake busyness, right? So we can get really excited. Again, it's that whole future self idea. It's really exciting to live in pursuit. Uh, you know, when we, you know, people always say it's all about the chase, right? The chase is exciting. What if the catch isn't as much? And so we, we stay in that pursuit place because it's really fun. Like living in pursuit is when we're talking to people a lot about all the great things we're going to do this year. And, and we get that boost. You know, we get those happy hormone fix by talking about it with people. And we get enough of a fix that we don't actually then do anything about it. But then when we crash and we need another fix, we tell someone else. And then we get that boost again. And it's like, okay, that's, that's going to be a lot, lots of peaks and valleys here. If you want to sustain that high, take action behind what you're talking about. Um, so not only is it living in pursuit, but it's also lip service, right? Are you just giving lip service to your dreams and goals? Uh, and if so, in and of itself is clutter, or are you ready and courageous enough to put action behind your intention, even the tiniest, smallest step to say to the universe, like, I mean business now. I'm no longer just talking about it. I'm going to give it a shot and see, see how it is. Um, so scheduling your time is really important. Every Sunday I do like a weekly mind dump, like what needs my attention for that upcoming week. And so I write that on one side of a piece of paper. I find pen and paper for me, at least with this works best. I write that on one side of a piece of paper. I draw a line down the middle and then I list out the days of the week on the other side and I start assigning tasks from left to right. And so not only do I have an idea of what I'm going to handle when that week out of the priorities that I've deemed important. Um, it also allows me to enjoy my downtime so much because if I say like, okay, you know, I've done X, Y, and Z, I should really get going on A, B, and C. I can look at my schedule and say, oh no, that's actually on the schedule for Friday. So it's already being handled. I don't even have to think about it today. And so I can actually end the day at a reasonable hour and go, all right, I did what I said I was going to do today and the rest of the days have their own assignments and I'll hit them when it comes. Um, that's the idea behind realistic expectations, scheduling your time. And when I say scheduling your time, I'm talking like, you know, I schedule 
maybe four hours worth of stuff a day under promise so I can over deliver. Most times if we say like, oh my God, I have a free day. I'm going to completely reorganize my kitchen, let's say. Um, just because you have an entire day on your calendar does not mean you have an entire day of energy and bandwidth available to you. So that's an excellent point. That's yeah, a really excellent point. Really think about that. So that's why I'll tell myself, I have a completely free day today. I'm going to do these four things that I estimate will take me a total of three hours. And, and then I'll see how I feel after that. Cause inevitably they end up taking me five and maybe one was more draining than I thought it was going to be. Or, a family member called with a crisis in the middle of the day that I needed to manage or handle. Um, and before I know it, it's six o'clock and I'm like, God, thank God I didn't plan anything more mm -hmm. because life happens. Right. So be realistic in the expectations is I find super helpful. Okay. What do you think about this? Cause I just gave this tip to a friend and she said, that's kind of selfish, Samantha. <laughs> I told her when all my kids are home and accounted for, I will turn my phone off for hours just because I don't want the interruption. I don't want the text. I don't want the emails pinging. I don't want the alerts. I don't want to just, you know, be on call for whoever needs me. And I need those, those hours where I know, okay, everyone's home. We're all safe. We're going to do this, this or that, or they're going to do their zoom classes and I'm going to focus on work. Love it. I love that boundary. That is such, I mean, it's like, it's such a powerful example of a healthy boundary for yourself. And it's giving yourself permission to say, like you said, you know, my family is all accounted for. They're safe. Everyone's well. Phone goes off. I mean, that is, um, that is a really clear and effective boundary. And if, you know, a friend of yours or someone thinks that it's selfish, then I, I say own it. Well, you know what, maybe it is, you know, so I need, I need that time. And, you know, I encourage you to do the same. Okay, good. That's what I said. I said, well, I guess I'm selfish. <laughs> selfish isn't a bad thing. It gets a bad rap. Like, yes, be selfish. Because, I mean, really, those of us who fear being seen as selfish are very unlikely to ever be selfish to the point that we are self-absorbed. There's a big difference, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Big difference. So I say bravo to you on the selfishness. May you inspire other people to do the same. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. Does anyone else feel that like 90% of um, phone calls are just people swapping complaints lately? Yes. <laughs> Am I yes. the only one who feels that way? Like when people will call for help, really what they want to do is just complain. Complain, yeah. People tend to connect through commiseration, unfortunately. Well, I, I think you're right, because that is that bond of, I feel like shit, maybe you will too, and then we won't have to deal with our clutter, and we won't have to do our planning, and we don't, when you were talking about that a minute ago, I want to jump back about, you know, the planning and the scheduling and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you look around and you're like, oh, well, I can't do that now because I have to go through all this paperwork, or I have to clean out the bedroom, or I have to, and that's an excuse. And I'm, I'm saying that more for myself is I can get caught up in that. Well, I would love to fill in the blank and do this in my life, but I can't until I take care of these things that are holding me stuck and trapped. Yes, that is really, that's what I call convenient clutter. So um, we will use clutter as a scapegoat to avoid something we're scared of, right? So you're, you know, in your example, you're using 
though that cleaning up that you need to do because you're afraid of that next step like we talked about right like pursuing that goal or taking action to write that book market your business go on that date you know go to the gym whatever it may be we that step feels really scary because it is moving us toward a goal um and oh my god what if we actually accomplish it so let me keep things messy you know the example i often give is people will say you know what as soon as i clean up my desk then i'm going to fill in the blank write the book market my business apply for that job you know get my finances in order whatever if any of those things feel intimidating which any of them would right you're going to keep your desk messy because it's like no i have to do this before i can do that well then the the clutter on the desk is is a great scapegoat at the end of your book you give a beautiful beautiful cheat sheet about where things are are piling up in your life and the emotional connection. And I was sharing that with a friend of mine and she said, well, damn, I can hit every one of those. Yeah. And so she's, she's, and we, we were laughing about it, but it, it's really true. It, it can be uh, all intertwined that yes, your, your uh, bedroom, which you refer to as the soul of the home, this can be about self-care and self-worth and all of those things, but that can spill into these other areas of your life and then before you know it, it's it's a big tornado of stuff holding you stuck and trapped. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can, you know, the 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 clutter in all of its forms can spill into all sorts of areas. And so when that happens, that's when we get really overwhelmed and we kind of just throw up our hands and like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, and I get that. I get that feeling of overwhelm. But it's so just start somewhere. And I know that sounds super simple, simplistic, but truly, even if you feel completely overwhelmed, just start somewhere. And it's going to feel like I know it's going to feel like you're not making much progress, but I promise you by starting somewhere, everywhere benefits. You are so spot on because it doesn't have to be a big thing. No, And it's similar to you lose two pounds and like, oh, well, I've only lost two damn pounds. What the hell's the point? Yeah. But then you instead celebrate, wow, I've lost two pounds and now I can work for three pounds. Yes. Those, those little baby steps. It's similar to like a 12 step program. Just totally. keep moving forward. Take a step. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, you, I mean, everyone has experienced it. You know, like when you, let's say you clean out your junk drawer, right? And you, you get rid of some stuff that were in there. You, you feel amazing after that. And all you did was clean out a junk drawer. Right. And it's like, I feel amazing. So it is like, though, what else can I do? That wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, it takes longer to dread something than it does to do it. Always. <laughs> so you can dread it, dread it, dread it. It's like the, the time you spent dreading that task, you could have had it done 10 times over. So that's when you want to look at why am I really avoiding that task because it's not about yes the job might be big but like you know you might be avoiding going through your boxes of photographs because it just feels so big but i guarantee you part of why you're avoiding it is because you're going to see some faces that trigger emotions good bad or otherwise so it's not just about the enormity of the job it's the about the emotional depth of the job exactly and and tr and being strong enough to be vulnerable Totally. Yep. And well, if I could just add, I think two pounds is like eight sticks of butter. 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, just stick some butter around you and go, wow, that's what I lost. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. Do you recommend doing daily to-do list or weekly to-do list or both? Uh, I do, well, when I do my weekly scheduling, I have a daily task list. Um, because what happens is if you if you say to yourself, let's say on Sunday, like this week, I'm going to get A, B, and C done, or I'm going to make progress on, on this, that, or the other, but you aren't specific on when you're going to do it, it stays too vague and ambiguous. And that's when Friday comes and you're like, where the hell did the week go? I had the whole week ahead of me and here it is Friday and I haven't done any of the things I wanted to do. So I find it really, really helpful to assign things to days. And so when I make my weekly schedule, and there's an example in the book, when I make my weekly schedule, I first plug in the standing appointments that aren't moving. So I'm like, okay, Thursday, you know, at 10, you know, podcast or um, Wednesday at two doctor's appointment. So I plug in those standing appointments, client call, etc. Those get in the, in the schedule first. And then I start assigning the tasks that don't have a, an appointment date or an appointment time. But I think, you know what? I have a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. I'm a little bit nervous about it. So the other tasks I'm going to assign on that day are going to be light and easy, right? So I take into account where my energy is going to be that day as well, how long something's going to take. But I think you do yourself a disservice if you just make a list for the week, but you don't get more specific on the days um, our resistance and our fear really needs structure and parameters to work within. You know, I mean, th just think of your kids. If you never gave them any kind of boundary to work within, I need you home by 10. Um, I want your homework done by four. Uh, you know, pick up your, bed, your, your room before you go to bed tonight. If they didn't have those parameters, if you just said, hey, at some point this week, could you come home when you go out with your friends, just at some point this week, come home. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not really going to work. So yeah, our, our fear and our resistance need parameters and structure um, more than we think that they do to feel held and safe. So they don't fight us as much when we're taking these moves we want to take in our lives. So well said. Yeah, it really is. And it reminds you that it is, even with a to-do list, it's steps. You've got to break it down into steps. These are the main goals for the week. These are the minor goals for each day. Yes. It's it's all about reverse engineering, right? So it's like, I want to get this done this week. Here's this big thing I want to get done this week. Now I'm going to back into it. If that's the project I want to complete this week, what are the tasks I would need to do within that project? And then what are the steps within those tasks? And so I, I break things down into stupid small steps, especially if I am resisting something big time. I need my next step to be so small that I can do it in five minutes. Um, if I'm not resisting it, then it can be a bigger step. But if you have planned something for yourself, an action to take, and you're not taking it, the first thing I want you to look at is, is it too big? What would be a small step toward that step? Right. And that my background is in special education. I, I taught for years and years and you task analyze down to the place where you can, there can be success to build on. Exactly. Yes. And I think for all of us, that's so important. It really is. It's been vital for me. 
So what's coming up for you this year? Are you able to teach any events? Uh, it's well, it's everything's kind of touch and go right now, as you can imagine. Um, so just lots of virtual stuff. I, um, you know, I'm really kind of growing my online membership community, Clutter Clear Your Life, where, you know, I have a bunch of members in there who we, you know, we meet um, every month. Actually, this afternoon, we have our member Q&A where I just do live coaching with my members. We they ask any questions they want about anything. So it's kind of like a like a talk I give to my members every month in addition to webinars that I teach for them. So it's still lots of virtual stuff right now um, until, until we know things are, are really safe to do otherwise, you know? That is fantastic. Tell people how to get in touch with the membership. Sure. So you can go to clutterclearyourlife.com and you can read all about the membership community right on that page. Um, you can pay monthly to be a member or you can do an annual membership, annual membership. You end up getting 12 months for the price of 10. Uh, and yeah, there's lots of, I have a ton of resources in the membership community from clutter clearing meditations that I've recorded, um, to worksheets and PDFs to my entire radical decluttering video courses in there for my members and any webinars that I teach this year, I'm going to be teaching a webinar like every other month. My members are automatically comped into those webinars, um, that people who aren't members pay for. Uh, and actually, I'm doing a um, a book club right now, like walking people through my book, so it's not clutter in their life. Um, <laughs> so a book club with the author. So it's a yeah, it's a really fun place for a bunch of like-minded trailblazers to come together and really go after their big, hairy, audacious goals and identify the clutter that stands in their way from accomplishing them. And together, we we bushwhack the crap out of it. That is fantastic. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. And guys, we really hope that you check out her books. They are fantastic. Denise, do you want to shout out her books and her website? Yeah, the new book is from Clutter to Clarity, Clean Up Your Mindset to Clear Out Your Clutter. And the website is kerryrichardson.com and it's Carrie with an I, K-E-R-R-I. And Thank you. Thank you, Carrie, because you're, you're really shining your light for a lot of folks right now. And it's very appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a blast to talk to you both. Thank we you. Love it and hope to have you back. Thank you guys for listening. As always, remember to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.